You guys can go, let's go ahead and celebrate that one more time. It's awesome. You guys can be seated. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. If you were here last week, you might think, oh my goodness, Andrew Basic's going to take this church over and it's going to be a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean, he did awesome. And I'll tell you, like, he's, he's living by the battle cry that we, we like to say, uh, sweat, sweat in preparation, you won't bleed in battle. And, and his hard work, it paid off. And I know that it encouraged so many hearts last week, and we're so thankful for him, thankful for young leaders who are stepping up. And, and I'm so excited about what God's been doing in the church. This week, we are kicking off a new series of, about the book of Colossians, all right? You know, normally, like, we, we want to give you a nice refreshing glass of scripture and let you drink in while you're here. Uh, for the next three weeks, you're going to be drinking from the fire hydrant, okay? We are going to dive into scripture for the next three weeks. And so if you have your Bible, open to Colossians 1, and, and we're going to be going through. And, and my intent, and it's going to be a three-week series, because if we try to dissect Colossians and go all the way through the, the important content, we would be in a year-long study. It is really a pivotal book of the New Testament and explaining some of our relationship with Christ and what it means and who he is. And so we're doing what's called a survey of Colossians, which means we're, we're going to try to make sure we grab onto the important themes of this book and, and apply what it means to our life. And my goal isn't to, you know, make all of us theologians. You don't have to understand all of the Bible history, but I'm going to dive into a good amount of it during this series because some of it changes the way that you see what was written here. And, and you know, to, to explain it, when I was studying for ministry and going through my Bible courses, one of the courses that I had to take was just on the books of the, the, the epistles of Paul. And that, that was one semester on that. Another one was like Genesis, just the book of Genesis. We did an entire semester on, and we didn't even finish the book because we were diving deep in it. During, during this semester in Genesis, for the last three weeks, it was like student presentations. And so I was going to have to give a 20-minute presentation on one of these one of 20 approved topics, and it's towards the end of the semester. And if you can remember back to college days when the weather starts getting really warm in April, and there's a draw to go outside and hit the water. I was in northeast Georgia, and so we had the Appalachian foothills, the, the approach to the A Appalachian Trail. We have these beautiful ponds, and we have a little inflatable raft because we're college students, and, and we like to take it out on those ponds and, and go have some fun. And, and the day before my presentation, we decided, okay, I'm just going to skip class today. The, the mountains are calling my name. We're going to go paddle some, and I'm just going to blow cl class off. Because you know what, honestly, other people are presenting and not everybody in that class is going into a public speaking role, if you know what I mean, getting a little drowsy listening to them. And so I didn't mind missing it, and so we skipped class and came in the next day to do my presentation. And I started giving my presentation, and there was something weird going on, but I didn't really know what it was. But like the whole class seemed really amused by what I was teaching. And it wasn't like, oh, it's really good teaching. It's like, there's something else. My professor, he's kind of like chuckling a little bit, like while I'm teaching. And it's not bad, but it's, it's just weird. Like, I don't understand. But there's this one kid in the class, his face is like slowly turning red while I'm going through. And my, my study was on the life of Joseph and the faith development of Joseph. And the question that I had to answer was, did Joseph have a strong faith through the second half of his life, or was he still walking away from God? And so I looked through and pulled the examples of him walking with integrity, refusing, um, you know, Potiphar's wife's advances, working and, and having a great work ethic, and, and going through these different pictures of what we see of his faith and building the case that Joseph had a strong faith towards the second half of his life. 
And, and as I'm presenting these and I close it up, and I, my, I can just, there's something going on in this class right now. And this one kid, he looks like his head's going to pop. And the professor says, okay, does anyone have any questions to what Paul just taught? And one of the kids who's kind of the troublemaker of the class, he said, so you're saying you disagree with everything that he just said yesterday. I sat there and systematically destroyed his senior project in this class, but I wasn't there, so I didn't know that I was doing that. And I didn't mean to be a jerk. It just kind of happened naturally and said, well, yeah, because they didn't know I wasn't there, so they just assumed I was. But it was the situation where I didn't understand the context, and so when I was going through this good information, I didn't understand how like, this affected what had happened just a day ago in the class. And the same thing, like as we read scripture, if we don't understand the context of what was happening around it, there's so many points that we don't understand how much tension was around these words that were written. And, and as we get into the book of Colossians, I want to just begin to unpack a little bit uh, of the surroundings uh, of the people who received this letter. Because th- this letter was written to, to the church in Colossae. And, and this church was a new church. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, he wasn't even, he hadn't met them yet. He's never been there. But, but in prison, one of his fellow workers w- was there, and he's telling them all about this church, because uh, Epaphras, he planted this church and planted a church in two other cities neighboring it, and he's telling them about what's going on there and what the struggles are. Because here in the church, you know, it's, it's growing, it's exploding, it's doing great things, but also there's these people who have come into the church and there's these Gnostics who are teaching these things that are non-biblical. And we have this struggle in our church because some people are, are believing and teaching each other that, that God gave me this secret vision that no one else has. And if you don't go through my initiation process, if you don't study under me, I won't tell you these secrets and you won't really be saved. And not only that, the, the physical body, the physical world, it's all evil and it's unredeemable. You just have to, you know, honor God in your mind and in your spirit. But what you do with your body, it doesn't matter. Be sexually immoral. Eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. None of that matters. And, and these were some of the false teachings that were in this church. And so the Apostle Paul, he's writing to, to encourage them for what they're doing great in, but he's also writing to correct some things. And there's other cultural considerations as well. And so I'm really going to try to roll through like the majority of this chapter. And so you're going to have to, you're going to have to muscle through this because there's going to be a lot of scripture with us today. And there's going to be a few cultural considerations that I want to stop and focus on because it changes the way that we see what's written here. So starting in chapter one, in verse one and two, It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. Now, now just real quickly, this is a good illustration of what I'm talking about, of understanding context, just because even in what I just read, there, there's a picture in there that's kind of like the picture, if you've ever seen a jacked up, like, redneck truck that's got huge wheels and a rebel flag flying off of it playing, like, rap music. Like, if you've ever seen that and been like, well, that's just a little strange. Like, those two things normally don't go together. When it, he says, may God our Father give you grace and peace, this was something that he was mixing two things that didn't normally go together. Because the normal Greek greeting of the day w- was grace. It was, it was Karen it, up, upon you, like favor and health and blessing upon you. And he changed that to, to cheris, which meant God's blessing. And, and he, so he's taking this Greek greeting, and then he's mixing it with the Hebrew Jewish greeting. 
which was shalom, peace. Because Paul, he felt this calling to go out to the Gentile church, to the Greek church, to the people who were not from the Hebrew nation, from, from the Jewish culture, and, and he wanted to reach them with the gospel. And, and he was so committed to this group that times when he was like with Peter, there was a time where he was with the apostle Peter, and with, he noticed, the apostle Paul noticed, when Peter was there with just the Greeks, he would hang out and he would spend time and he would eat with the Greek people. But you know what, the Hebrew people, they didn't really get along with the Greek people very well, and in fact, often they would refer to them as dogs. And, and when, when the Hebrew people would come around, the apostle Peter would all of a sudden withdraw from the Greeks, and he wouldn't sit with them and eat. And, and, and he, he just only socialized with, with the Hebrew people, and the apostle Paul called him out on it in front of other people. And, and I mean, talk about socially awkward, like correcting a leader in front of ch- the church. Like, that's a socially awkward thing to do. But the Apostle Paul was so, so committed to reaching these two different groups and seeing them all as one church that he was willing to step on toes to do it. And, and just even in his greeting, there's this, there's this social racial barrier that, that he's breaking down with his greeting of grace and peace. And, and it's an interesting context thing that you would easily miss if you didn't spend the time background studying. And, and one of the other interesting things about that greeting is it really does work in that order. A lot of times we'll start coming to church because we want peace. But really what we need is grace. It's grace and peace. When we experience God's grace, we experience peace. When we allow him to have our heart, then he cleans up our life. But if we try to clean ourselves up and then come to God, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna feel like you're never worthy, you're never able to make it because you can't clean yourself up on your own. You can't fix your problems on your own. But when we come to God, he begins to work in our life, change our life. It's about coming to him in the mess that we are and allowing him to work out the rest, grace and peace. And so we're gonna continue into this, this passage and, and I'm gonna read through, we're gonna focus into verse nine, but I'm gonna go and read the other section to you. So if you have your Bibles, if Colossians chapter one, starting at verse three. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. I just wanna pause real quick there because the social context. I want you to think of the fact that the group of teachers there were saying we have this secret revelation unless you hear it from us, unless you understand what God has revealed to only us, then you're not really saved. You have to get this from us and right here, This is being read aloud to the church in Colossae, and it says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. As this was being read in the church, the guys who were teaching this false philosophy, I'm gonna tell you, their faces were probably turning a little red. They were getting a little warm under the collar. The people who they had been teaching to were probably turning and kind of giving them a side glance as this letter from the Apostle Paul is being read to them. And these things are being corrected because what they had been doing is they've been taking these, these things that are outside of scripture and saying, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna live this part. I'm gonna internally be for God, but externally I'm gonna include these Eastern concepts of religion. And it was making a mess of their lives and it was making a mess of their church. And correcting course is never comfortable. But it's probably something that we've all had to experience of saying, you know what, this is how I lived 
and this is what I believe, but now that I've interacted with God's word on the topic, I need to change course. And it can be awkward, but I want, I want to just for a second, I want to tell you to give yourself permission to have not always been right. I want, to give you, I, want, I want you to take permission to say, you know what, there's things in my life that I want to change and that's okay and that's not embarrassing. In fact, that's the story of every person who's ever come to God. There's things of the way that I'm doing it that I'm not going to do it that way anymore. There's things that I believe that were false and, and I'm going I'm to hold to everything that this book teaches. And, that, and that's an okay thing to do. In fact, it's something that's honoring to God. And so the, the same good news was going out everywhere, picking up at verse 7. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And then verse 9, this is where we're really going to focus in for a couple minutes. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Now, I don't know if this is a, an easy thing or a hard thing for you to realize. A lot of times, we kind of accept this view of like, God, he's interested in my life when I'm messing up. Like, if, when I'm making mistakes, like, he wants to like, you know, flick me or like, punish me. Like, he, he, he cares when I make mistakes. But do you know that God is interested? He is actually he finds pleasure, he finds joy when you walk in his ways. I mean, what, what it just said there in, in verse 10, then, you, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Do you know that God takes pleasure when you walk in his ways? Do you know that, that the way that Zephaniah terms it in 317 is in the NASB, it says that he shouts for joy over you. Other translation says that he sings over you or that he dances over you. But there's this picture that when you are doing what God has called you to do, that he finds joy in who you are and in what you're doing. That God's only interest isn't, are, are you breaking the rules? But he, he loves to see you walk in his ways. And like Andrew was talking about, you know, we, we know that we'll be in God's will when we're walking in his ways. Walking in God's ways leads us to his will. And, and so the first point that I want us to, to, to bring into our life from, from Colossians is when we walk in God's ways, he rejoices. When we walk in his ways, he rejoices. Not only is it good for us, but there's something happening in heaven where your heavenly father looks down on you with joy when you walk in his ways. When you decide to step out just a little bit more in your faith, your heavenly father rejoices over you. He's not someone who's just looking down and criticizing your mistakes, saying where you could be better, but he's looking down and saying, man, this is awesome. They're stepping out. They're taking a step. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was before the summer of my senior year of high school, and as I became aware that God cares about how I live, like, it, 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 it changed my life, and I mean, I, I, I went from this point of before I made a decision to follow God where I felt like life was just this darkness. And when, when I made that decision, it was like the light just turned on. And it was so radically different that I couldn't imagine doing anything but sharing this with other people. And so I seriously had this struggle, and this might be over the top, but I'm just telling you what happened. When I'd be walking into my classroom as a high school senior, and I'd look across a, at the desks of where I could sit, I was like, okay, God, where do you want me to go right now? Like, what person can I talk to? What person can, can I impact right now during this class period? 
And, and it was a struggle because I was like, I want to land in the right spot, and I want to do something because I understood that not just is it good for me to obey what God says, and not just is it good for this person to hear about God's love, but my Heavenly Father actually cares about where I go and if I care about pleasing Him. Your Heavenly Father takes joy when you walk in His ways. And, and the other result of that is, is what it says in the second half of the verse, is all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Do you realize that your relationship with God is more than just the point of, I said yes to him, but it's something that we should be growing in on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. Our relationship with God, it wasn't just like a one check-in and then we're done, but it's saying that as you walk with me, you're gonna get to know me better. As you get to know me better, you're gonna know better how to live and you're gonna experience more of my favor and my blessing in your life as you follow my ways. Our relationship with God is something that we grow in. And I'll tell you, it's not something that happens on accident, but it's something that you have to invest in. And man, you're here in church, so, so, you, so you're doing it. But I'd want to caution you, it's easy to get into the rhythm and the tradition of just coming into church and hearing the word and then going and never applying it internally to yourself. We don't need help applying it to our neighbor. We don't need help applying it to our spouse or to our kids. It's easy to want to fix other people, right? But ourself, are we growing in our relationship with God? Are we challenging ourselves on, you know, I've been acting this way and I need to make an adjustment? We need to be growing in our relationship with God. Going on into to verse 15, this next section, 15 through 20, it, it's one of those sections where as Paul, Paul was actually dictating it to someone who was writing it for him, I, I, I can just tell from, from the writing style, Paul was getting worked up. Like this was a preacher who started preaching in the middle of a letter because he's talking about Christ and what Christ has done to us. And in verse 15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, now this is, you know, Christ is supreme in everything. But as we read that, we're like, yeah, that's true. Like, like, like he's all those things. But one of the things that Paul was writing to deal with in this church was the, the teaching of the Gnostics was that Christ, that God didn't even create the physical. And it's one of the reasons why we don't have to care about what we do with our body is that it was created by angels. And so our bodies don't even really matter. And so just once again, back to that tension that as this was being read, when it, when it says that Christ created everything, seen and unseen, that by his physical body, that by his blood on the cross, our bodies, our souls have been redeemed. There's a huge amount of tension that was mounting in this church as this was being read. And, and the fact that Christ holds everything together, he's all-powerful, not just in creation, but in sustaining everything. This is an important truth for us to understand theologically and what it means that we don't believe that anything else was involved in, in creation other than the power and work of God. But, but the thing that it should mean to us in the way that we live our life, the way that the rubber meets the road on this section, it, it, is that no matter what you're facing, Christ is enough. 
Christ has supremacy over all things. Christ has power over all things. So whatever the struggle that is in front of you, and this is the second point, no matter what you are facing, Christ is enough. I I know some of the hurts and some of the struggles right now, they, they, they are legitimate and they are real and you're worried and I understand there's diagnoses out there that that are frightening there's relationships that feel like they're they're about to tear and there's a lot of ways that we go about trying to fix our life I'm going to tell you no matter what season or difficult difficulty that you're walking through the best thing that you can do is get your heart right with Christ because he's enough to carry you through any season no matter what season it is in your marriage, in your career, in your physical health, or in your life. Whether it's the beginning, middle, or end, we know that when we walk closely with Christ, we have everything that we need. Amen? Amen. Christ is enough for us. And there, there's no other religion, there's no other thing that we need, and one of the things that the next verse points out is that yes, Christ is enough, but there's something that, there's an internal aspect to this. In verse 21, it brings out this truth that this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. This truth is not flowery, it's not necessarily exciting, but it's something that every Christian would say is true, that I was once far from God. I was once separated from God by sin. This isn't just for the bad people. This isn't just for the evil people. This is just a truth that until you believe in your heart, uh, until you believe in your mind, until you confess with your mouth, what scripture teaches is that we were once far from God. But, But when we believe and we make that decision that God causes something to happen, that God changes something, that it's not just that we become good people, but it's this, this point, this thing that we have to walk through, which just, you know, in, in this season I, of being a Florida na- native, of being someone who lives here, there's preparation that has to be made in this season. Not just spiritually, but it's, you know, hurricane season is a coming, right? There, there's things that you have to have. And, and a lot of us went through Irma to, together and, and put up hurricane shutters and, and got ready. And one of the worst things to see was people who were faced with the week of the storm and they decided, you know what, I should probably try to find hurricane shutters now. I should probably try to find some screws to put up my hurricane shutters now because I don't have any. And I'll tell you, I went and walked through Lowe's just because I, I, I wanted to go see, you know, what was going on there because I've he- I heard of just how it was a madhouse. Like the whole hardware section was just sold out of screws. The plywood was like worth more than gold in Cape Coral at this point. Because people waited to the last minute to try to make preparations, to try, try to protect their house, to do the right thing. I'm going to tell you if, you, if you just moved into a house and you haven't counted your hurricane screws yet for your shutters, do that. Make sure you have what you need before, because you don't want to face a storm unprepared. When, when difficult things happen in our life, if we have just been living on our own far from God and you encounter a storm and a difficulty, it's going to be so much more incredibly difficult than if you had been walking with God before. And it's not that we're immune from difficulties and pain and suffering. Those will happen. But if we've been walking with God, we know that Christ is going to sustain us through those things. We know that we were once far from him, but we took a step of preparation. We took a step of faith and trusting him. And church, as you sit here today, 
I hope that you know that you have made a decision to follow Christ with your life, in your head and in your heart. Because we all start out separated from God by sin. But then when we believe, God begins to do something. And it's not just that he makes us a good person. It's that he, he creates this change, which Paul describes as a mystery going into verse 26. And this is a really cool picture because Paul is confronting the, the, the Gnostics in the church in Colossae that said, we have this secret and we're gonna hold it tight and we're only gonna share it with those who go through our initiation process and the secret word of, of knowledge that God has given to us and we're gonna hold it tightly. And, and Paul begins to say this, starting in verse 26. He says, this message was kept, this is the message of the gospel he's talking about. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. So here's the secret, and it is the secret that was kept from, from all of the prophets and all of the previous generations before Christ came on earth. They, they heard shadows, they heard, they heard prophecies, they, they saw these pictures painted in the Old Testament of what Christ would be like. But until he was revealed, it, it was a mystery to them. But now that it's revealed, he, he says, we know it, it's been revealed to, to God's church, so we tell others about Christ. This thing that was a mystery, it's not just something we hold on to, it's not something that we protect from other people, but we tell everyone, and this is the mystery, that Christ lives in you. When we believe it's not about just reconciling a bank account with God, that our sins have been handled and now we can just go our own way and God goes his own way, but when we believe what scripture teaches is that Christ now lives inside of us, that spiritual death has been replaced with spiritual life. And this is why we say the objective is not to be good people. The objective is to be a new person. The objective is where spiritual death was to be replaced with spiritual life that only Christ can bring. And this is why you can't be good enough on your own. This is why no matter how many good deeds you do, it's never enough. And in fact, when God criticizes, you know, the, the concept of good deeds, it's not even our bad deeds that, that it criticizes. It's saying your good is never enough. Our, our best works are like filthy rags before God. God doesn't look down and say, hey, you did, you know, it, it's your sins that's the problem. It, it's your good deeds that's the problem. They could never be enough on their own. You could never be good enough. And the question isn't even, are you good enough? The question is, does Christ live in you? This is the mystery and hope of all past generations that is revealed now and preached throughout the world and comes to you and asks the question, is Christ alive in you? Hope you can answer that question with confidence. One of the evidences that we see of Christ being alive in someone is found in the next passage in verse 29. It says, that's, well, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna backtrack to 28 so you have the full context. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Here's, here's my third and, and final point of the day. If Christ is in you, he will work through you. Band, if you guys can start making your way up on stage, I'm gonna begin to close this down. If Christ is in you, he will work through you. 
This happens naturally, and I saw this in my own life, and I've seen it in countless other people's lives as well, that, that when we begin to say, okay, God, I believe, I trust, there, there's this push, there's the, this compulsion to begin to go and minister and make a difference to other people. And I saw this early in my faith, but I've also got to witness this in the life of our church so much. And, and it's cool because if, you, if you've been part of set up or tear down or volunteering here, you would rightfully say, you know, being part of Gulfside Church, it can be hard work. Because we get out here at seven and we are setting things up and we want to make this place look excellent as visitors come in because we believe excellence honors God and it shows them that the message that we carry is important, it's life-changing, and we want things to be set to where there's no distractions, where the message is clearly preached. Kids and people who are in the children's ministry, man, they are changing poopy diapers, which like, I can find more relaxing things to do on a Sunday morning than change some poopy diapers. But, but it's not just about the kids, but it's about seeing faith come alive, seeing Christ live in people's hearts. And, and as I look around at our teams at different times and guys who are working and women who are working so hard to make this happen here, as the pastor, you know, I'm a little bit more connected to everyone and so I see stories unfolding in people's lives that you guys don't always get to see. You know, there's one family that started attending here because uh, another family that God had already been at work in invited them to come and so they came. And, and the husband of the family, he came to me after church their first time, and he's like, you know, I'm not really a church guy. And which, okay, I mean, you can tell it to the pastor, that's all right. Um, but I like the fact that you don't really talk about money too much, which is also a weird thing to kind of say to the pastor on one of the first interactions, but that's all right too, I get that. Um, some, some churches have made mistakes around the money area. And he's like, but, but I liked it. It was good. So he said, that's great, I'm glad you liked it. And so he left, and couple weeks later, he, he was talking to me after service again, and he's like, you know, reminded me, I'm, I'm not really a church guy. Okay, we established that last time, but that's good. Um, he said, but as I've been here during the services and during your messages, like, I've been crying a little bit, and it's just, it's just been, it's been weird, but it's been good. I'm like, man, that's not me, like, that's God at work inside of you, and, and that's awesome, because that means you're saying yes to him, and God's going to begin to do something. And, and they've been coming back, and they've been faithfully serving, and it's just been cool to see the way that God's just, even in this short season, worked in their family, and they've been such an encouragement to me. And um, many of you guys do this, and I appreciate this. When I throw challenges out there on a regular basis, I love hearing back. And it's not, don't feel like it's bragging on yourself, but it's a testimony that the church is doing what it should. And I put challenges out there, and he's like, hey, I, I, you challenged us to do this, we did this. One of the days he was letting me know, and this, this is a text message that I saved, and I, I hold on to these things because you, you need these things at different points in, in life and ministry to know, you know, because th this is hard work. Is it, is it making a difference? And he texted me and sent, you know, my, my oldest daughter has, has this boy in her class that was sharing that um, his, his family was going through some struggles, and she told the boy that our family has found this, this new hope within the church and invited him to attend, and the boy talked to his family, and they, they came today, and they enjoyed the sermon, and have decided to keep coming to the church, and I'm very proud of my daughter, but I'm not sharing the story with you for accolades of my daughter, but I'm sharing this because it, it's because of you and your message, and, it, and it's because of the church that, that my daughter did what she did in inviting this family, and I want to share with you to let you know that you at least touched one family today, although I'm sure you touched many more, but it, it's not about it's not about my message, but it's about the work of the church. And no one 
No one told them to begin serving. No one told them to, you know, begin inviting. But it's just one of those things that when Christ is present in your life, he pushes us to work for him. I'll even say, as the scripture said, he pushes us to work hard. It has costs. It costs our mourning. It costs our resources. It costs our energy. It costs our heart at times. It has cost to serve Christ. But it's one of the best evidences of the presence of Christ in your life. So as your pastor, I want to tell you how proud I am to see you at work in the city in so many different ways. Whether it's serving in the nursery, serving in setup, ser- serving in, in the different capacities that you have throughout the city, it's such an honor and joy to see Christ's presence in your life on display. And, and, and this is the beginning of Colossians, but you know, in, in all things, you know, if Christ is in you, he will work through you. This is my challenge and this is my push on you today, church. Are you working hard? And I want to balance this and say there's a season of I need to refresh and I need to refill. And many of you, as you joined our church, I said, you're not allowed to serve for at least a month. And and, and many of you don't realize this, but commonalities among some of you guys, where I said, you need to take some time off. And I won't even let you serve if you want to. But there is a season for refreshment and then there is a season to serve. Are you working hard? The reason I say it that way is because, first of all, I think it's a call in Scripture to, to hard work. But second, we have a mission. And we have a vision that has to be pushed forward. Not because an organization needs to grow, but because families in this city and people in this city need to hear this message that Christ doesn't want to just make them good. God, Christ wants to make them new. That Christ will live in them and will walk with them through whatever they are facing in life. And so we work hard to make Gulfside Church happen so that people know about it, so people can hear the gospel. But it's going to require all hands on deck. So church, are you working hard right now? Are you committed to seeing the kingdom of God grow in the city? And if you're not yet, ask the question, God, where can I begin? Where can I serve? Whether it's in this church or out in the city, doesn't matter. Are you working hard to advance the kingdom of God with the time that he's entrusted you with? Believe when you set your hand forward, you'll experience an incredible joy as you serve him. It's hard work, but it's fun work to see, you know, the hands of these different people and the stories of how God has changed their life and is changing their family all throughout this church. You'll share that joy when you put your hand to work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you use us as ambassadors who, who proclaim this message of your love that we get to carry this truth and that we get to see you at work in people's lives throughout a spectrum of ages from birth to people who are retired and we continue to see you transforming lives all along the way. Push on our heart, push on our mind, show us where you want us to work, where we have an opportunity. I pray that we would see the spiritual fruit come from it. I thank you for your love and the fact that it's still at work within us. You'll continue to guide us every step of the way. In Jesus' name.